are a W-2 capitalist. You are addressing the gap between your successful, fulfilling W-2 job and building wealth for your family through real estate investing. You are ready to earn, invest, repeat. Welcome to the W-2 Capitalist Podcast. Now, let's get to work. Here's your host, Jay Helms. As I was checking my email last night, I noticed that uh, YouTube had sent me a couple of messages about copyright infringement. Uh, so a couple of the, the sessions from yesterday are, are been taken down. And I, I know what happened is when, as you were coming in and all day yesterday, I was playing, uh, music during the, the intermissions and the breaks and whatnot. And that's what, uh, um, got me. So, uh, I'm going to try to do that a little bit better today. Uh, but, but yeah, um, Baron, those will be available pretty soon. Um, Christopher, biggest thing for yesterday is not moving into a rental to get zero gains for tax. It's huge, man. I, you know, I was not expecting a stimulus check um, because I knew what I brought in last year and I definitely went above the threshold. And then two days ago, I look at my bank account and there's a stimulus check and I'm like, wait a minute, what? Oh, they did it on adjusted gross income and my adjusted gross income came below that. So when you talk about tax gains, this also falls into play, right? Kenny, I'm excited for day two as well. Um, so much good stuff. Chris and I were talking. Chris is already here. Early bird gets the worm. By the way, I got a dad joke for you. So if early bird gets the worm, are the worm parents telling the worms to sleep in? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. That was horrible. Uh, something I thought of last night when I was talking to, uh, to my son. But uh, yeah, so one of the things I want to do, I want to welcome everybody. Uh, people are continuing to trickle in. We're going to have a little fun this morning. I'm going to go through my, my spiel as I did yesterday um, because a lot of people who told me, hey, we could not um, attend yesterday for whatever reason. Maybe you're working or whatnot. Uh, it's funny. I did see uh, a drop off of participants right at five o'clock central time. So it lets me know a few people were streaming in the background while they work. And, uh, then they had to attend to their, um, their, their duties as a parent or significant other, which is awesome. Awesome. So thank you for being here. Uh, it, Clayton, which is his kids were sleeping right now. Uh, mine too. So, uh, you know, Hopefully you can't hear them, but they're, my wife is doing an amazing job. And, and last night, um, uh, there she is. She says, woohoo, day two, get, get excited. Um, or go, babe, so excited. Me too. I'm extremely excited about this. We, uh, I asked her how she kept them so quiet, and, and we've learned that it is about creating games for them. And uh, so yesterday she created a game for them about uh, how to be a ninja, and so ninjas are all sneaky quiet. And so hopefully they will be entertained with that game today. And uh, we won't get into any of the disruptions that can happen with, with uh, live streaming. Uh, as the net corrected me yesterday, I said live TV, but I meant live streaming because I had a brain fart. But anyway, uh, if it's, today is your first day, my name is Jay Helms and I'm the founder 
of the W2 Capitalist, uh, the podcast, the mastermind, the community, and more importantly, what I like to call it all about this is about a movement, right? You are uh, a W2 employee, uh, like many of us, it is not getting you where you want to financially uh, for you or your family. So you've turned to real estate investing, either you're just getting started or you've been doing it for a while and you just want to continue to increase your knowledge base, but you're going, you want to be able to have those additional streams of income. And for those people who are going through a furlough situation right now and have been investing for a while, they will tell you, uh, having those multiple streams of income as this is a perfect example of why you want that. So, uh, we are here for you. I'm going to post some links in the chat, uh, for those resources that, uh, I mentioned the podcast, the mastermind, excuse me, the community right now, the community is hosted in Facebook. There's almost 7,000 people in that community. Um, and it is one of the most interactive online. I'm a little biased, but it is one of the most interactive online, um, places that you can go and meet and ask real questions and get real answers, uh, for what you're going through, either W2 or real estate investing. So, and then a mastermind, I did not do a good job of, of highlighting this yesterday. <clears throat> and I apologize for that. I've lost my voice a little bit, but the mastermind I run is, uh, currently it's weekly. So on Tuesday evenings, and it is as it grows, we're going to add more days and more meeting spots, but it is a virtual mastermind just like this, uh, or similar, I should say similar to this. When you join, you will get in a room with me and all the other folks. Uh, there's usually about 10 folks on a call. Um, your camera's on, you're, you're able to talk. It's not through just me and, and the chat box. That's the only big, biggest difference, but we go around the room and say, what are you up to? What do you need? To, uh, what do you want to be held accountable for between now and the next call you join? Because accountability is huge uh, in this because you're you're trying to be a husband, you're trying to be a father, you're trying to be a significant other, you're trying to just kick butt at your W two, but you also want to invest in real estate. And if you don't have that support group around you, it is extremely difficult. And what I'll tell you, just from my personal experience, in the last four or five weeks that we've been quarantined and we're starting to see some of the things that are happening with people being furloughed and, you know, companies talking about layoffs, if they haven't already laid off, um, that mastermind group that's happened on, on Tuesday nights is what's helped keep me sane. Um, that and my, my wife, of course, but she's, she's not letting me leave the house. I really haven't been out of the house, uh, in four or five weeks. Cause I'm one of those folks who, who have one of those conditions that makes it pretty, uh, pretty lethal. Um, I do have asthma. So, uh, but anyway, enough of that. I want to welcome you officially to day two of the first ever W2 Capitalist virtual real estate investing summit. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, what an amazing day we had yesterday. And if you, if you missed yesterday, don't worry about it. The recordings are going to be available soon. I'll email those to you when, when they come about. So to help set expectations for today will flow again, I talked about this yesterday. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I'm going to try to limit that coughing in the, in the microphone as much as I can, but I'm going to wrap up here in just a few minutes. Uh, I have a four minute video of operation underground railroad put together for us. That I want to play for you again. This summit is about to raise awareness for them. Um, it's one of the most amazing organizations on the planet for what they do. And then we're going to play a little trivia. Uh, you know, 
I had a hard time going to sleep last night, or at least I did not wake up as fresh as I wanted to last night or this morning. And sometimes you get in these virtual conferences, you got to pace yourself. So I'm going to kick us off with some trivia to kind of get your mind thinking, because I know this session, first session with Chris Jackson is going to be a little different than yesterday. Um, It's mainly going to be an ask him anything. Um, I think he wants me to join him, but this is Chris's time to shine. Uh, I do call him a brother from another mother because he's doing all this stuff. He and I, he was on the podcast a couple of months ago and realized that he and I have a lot in common um, when it comes to, to everything, really. He's an introvert, just like myself. Uh, and it's pretty amazing just to, to link up with a guy like Chris. So happy and excited to hear from him. But in case you missed this, here are five things. <laughs> Excuse me. In case you missed this, there are five things that I'm going to wrap up. We're going to do the video, and then we're going to do some trivia to, to kind of kick this thing off. Uh, this is a live event, right? As you can tell through all the coughing and, and stuff I'm doing already. Uh, I and Luckily, yesterday, we did not have but one technical issue. One of the presenters had trouble sharing her PowerPoint full screen. We adapted and made it work. But I expect to technical issues to happen, right? The kind of hiccups that can only happen during COVID-19 quarantine. My wife and kids, uh, I have three kids, five and under, by the way, are just in the other room. They're, they're upstairs. They're running around. So if one of them, if one of the kids runs in half naked and screaming, I apologize. I'm going to limit, uh, best limit those, uh, best to limit those instances. And my wife is running point on that. I love the ninja game that she's doing with them. Uh, but use the second thing, use the chat feature. Uh, the chat feature is way that we can interact with you and the way that you can interact with others, right? Uh, be as interactive as you can. I mentioned this earlier. A couple of people have dropped, uh, dropped in since then, but you can toggle your chat right by the two button to, a, to go to everyone. It may say all attendees in your situation, but make sure you toggle that button to the appropriate audience and use the Q and a feature, right? As we get into, we go through the day, all the presenters are going to come. You can ask questions throughout it. The Q and a, uh, Jerome actually is practicing this already. He said, good morning. Thank you, Jerome. Good morning to you, sir. Um, I get an alert for every Q and a question that comes up. It brings, just brings attention to me. Um, that much easier as chat as the chat keeps going and warming up. Uh, I'll probably miss your question, so make sure you use the Q and A function uh, during that time. Um, if you're interested in a breakout session, like I was talking about uh, with the mastermind, where you can have that, I'm going to post this post this link in the in the form or in the chat. Um, good morning, Rick. Seven fifteen here in LA. I hear you, buddy. Getting after it. Uh, this link in the in the chat will allow you to sign up for us to have a breakout session. Uh, I want to take this summit, for some of you to take this summit to the next level. Ultimately, it's going to be an invitation to join the mastermind, but I want you to see what that looks like and get a little bit more experience. Um, good morning, Josie. Josie Wagner missed part of day one yesterday, and I'll have to disconnect again for a little while today. Yes, so th- these are being recorded. They will be available, and as soon as as soon as they're available, I will email you guys the link. I'll also post them in the community that I was talking about earlier, the Facebook community um, that we have uh, going on too. Uh, number four, there will be potty breaks. Um, 
trust me, I'm just as guilty of, as anybody, but I have a lot of 15 minutes in between presenters for you to grab a refill, stretch your legs, definitely stretch your legs, uh, go to the bathroom, et cetera. Obviously you can do this at any time, but I hate leaving the movies to do any of those things in fear of missing out on some quality content. So I do have some time in there for you guys to stretch your legs. Uh, we're going to be staying pretty close to the schedule today, as close as we can, um, to be respectful of our presenters, uh, times and, and what they've got going on. Uh, by the way, they're all here on their own accord, right? None of them are getting paid. They are here just to present and help raise awareness to Operation Underground Railroad, which leads me to point number five. Uh, last one, then we're going to do the video. But uh, today and yesterday, I am asking you to donate to Operation Underground Railroad. Uh, as I said before, I didn't say this before, but my personal goal is to raise $50,000 this weekend. Uh, if everyone who registered for the summit donates just 125 bucks, we'll exceed that goal, right? Some of you will do less than that. Some of you will do more. And some of you are thinking, as I said yesterday, some of you thinking, how in the hell can I do anything right now because of COVID-19? I get it. Everyone's situation is different, uh, which is why Operation Underground Railroad offers uh, a monthly donation option. So if you're thinking, hey, I can't do 125 150 or 200 today, what I can do is 15, 20, 25, $50 a month for the next eight months. OUR has those monthly payments available. So uh, I've created two ways for you to donate. By the way, Operation Underground Railroad is a 501c3 entity and 100% of your donations are tax deductible. So just so we're clear, I will never touch this money. The money goes directly to, to OUR and there are two ways for you to donate. Uh, you can text W2CAP to 41404, or you can go to W2CAP Summit, where most of you registered for this summit, and simply click the red donate button to OUR. Um, I will say, uh, so in my day job, I'm a sales manager. I am held to a quota. I look at numbers day in and day out, thinking where we are in this current month, where we're going to go for the next month. So last night when this summit ended, I was looking at the money that we had raised. It was over $5,000, which is nothing to blink at. But in my mind, I'm sitting here wrapping the numbers up and I'm thinking, you know, we sh if we're going to stay on target, we should be at 18000 So I was a little disappointed in the amount of donations received yesterday. Uh, primarily because I think about what it costs to go to a conference like this. Now it is virtual, right? Uh, but it does, it does cost to put in. I think I've got close to $1,500 put into this. Uh, but if you were to go to a real live conference, you're going to get a few hundred bucks for a ticket to attend and then typically several hundred more to travel. So uh, I'm thinking, you know, if everybody donated 125, uh, you're getting a bargain, you're helping out a good cause. Um, but anyway, I realize we're in a tough time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to up the ante, right? So if you donate $150 or more yesterday and today, so some of you donated yesterday, if you want to make another donation today to meet these thresholds, uh, we'll combine the multiple donations. Uh, but if you get $150, I'm going to send you one of our super comfy t-shirts. Now, not this one I have. This, this is strictly for Mastermind members, but here's the actual ones, the 2020 version. And then this is the original they're super comfy. Uh, if you donate 200 more, 200 or more dollars today, I'm going to send you a care package, which is both t-shirts and one of our water bottles. 
It's a Camelback water bottle. Not this one. Obviously, this one's mine. I don't think you want my slobber on it before you get get it. I only have 16 of those water bottles left. So first come, first serve on that. Um, but this is for this weekend only, right? So if you donated yesterday and you need to donate just a little more to hit the 150 or 200 threshold, we'll definitely add those two together. What I'm asking you to do is to email me your receipt, your shirt size and shipping address uh, to me. And I'll put all this in the chat feature and, and email you guys later about it as well. So welcome. I'm glad you're here. I've got a four minute video. It's a message from Tim Ballard, the founder of CEO and uh, founder CEO of Operation Underground Railroad. Then we're going to play a little trivia to get your mind going. Um, and then we're going to kick it over to Mr. Chris Jackson. So let me find, here's the technical hiccup. I had it up. All right, here we go. Find the video from, from Operation Underground Railroad, and then we're going to go do that. So here we go. Hi, my name is Tim Ballard. I'm the founder and CEO of Operation Underground Railroad. Our organization exists to infiltrate the dark world of human trafficking. Human trafficking is a worldwide problem. It's the fastest growing criminal enterprise on the planet. Millions of people, including children, are stuck in this, sold in the commercial sex trade, sold in the slave labor trade, sold in organ harvesting. This is real, this problem is growing, and we need to do something about it. We need to come together to do something about it. One of the reasons that human trafficking has been able to grow so fast is that people don't know it's happening. People aren't aware, even though it's right before their faces, because it's too hard sometimes to recognize. It's too hard to accept that something so horrific could be happening to people, could be happening to children. is how easy it is to purchase a child online. It's as easy as ordering a pizza. What I say to those that harm children is I'd much rather be the person that's staring them in the eyes than that child that they showed up to harm. The reason being is I've seen those children. I've looked them in the eyes and I've seen the pain and I've seen what they've gone through. And I'd much rather it be me than that child. What I would tell someone is this is absolutely happening in your community. Every time I set up one of these ops, I go all across the state, I always think, you know, no one's gonna show up this time. Every single time, somebody shows up. And every single time we do these, the, the number increases. I can think of one operation we did was in a smaller community, and I thought, you know, we're probably gonna get seven or eight people. And ultimately, we ended up arresting 26. And that's in a small community where they thought, there's no way this is happening in, in our town. So I'm here to say, absolutely, this is happening in your area. 
My name is Jessica and I'm the Director of Aftercare for Operation Underground Railroad and we are here in South America. Operation Underground Railroad started with doing a lot of sting operations and really coming alongside and supporting local governments. One of the things that not everyone knows about Operation Underground Railroad is how passionate they are about aftercare. Believe so strongly that when the arrest happens and the girls are freed that that's just the beginning of the journey. If you're not able to really have aftercare with services of mental health, with vocational training, with creating places where they can go to create a livable income, then 80% go back into some type of sexual exploitation or trafficking. But what that says to me is there's 80% of children and teenagers and young adults that we can have an impact on. We have the opportunity to help them with vocational training, with providing some type of skill so that they can have a livable income and so that they never have to go back to any type of human trafficking or sexual exploitation, but that their dreams can really be fulfilled, that they have that opportunity to explore what they feel like they were meant to do and why they're on this earth. All right, you can see how heart-wrenching and ugly and disgusting that world is and what what the experts will tell you especially at operation underground railroad is there are estimated two million children that are caught up in that extremely nasty world so um that's why i want to bring light to it uh i recorded a little session yesterday about how i got introduced to that am i going to go into that again we're we're uh, running up on time and i want to start today off with um a little trivia so if you haven't made it to download Kahoot app, you can simply go to kahoot.it and I'll put this in the chat and you're going to wait on a game pen for me to produce and I'll show this. This is pretty fun. I'll, 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 uh, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of geeking out putting this together. So let me um, get things ready while you guys get over there. Uh, my recommendation is to do this, uh, at your, on your mobile device because you're going to see the questions come up here. So what I'll do is share my screen so you guys can see this right here. All right. If I can get a thumbs up from one of the other panelists or somebody in the chat, tell me you can see my screen. That'd be great. Uh, obviously, Chris, Jason, everybody's jumping in. So if go to Kahoot.it and put in the code 662-7978. We're going to give you guys just a few minutes. Cindy says Kahoot is my favorite. She's using it. That's awesome, Cindy. Um, I was introduced to this uh, last week in the virtual session training that I did, and this was one of the coolest things that uh, – it made the day go by so fast or it, it kind of looking forward to it. So there is a prize associated with this. I forgot. I've got to figure out what the prize is. It's going to be about 50 bucks in value. Either it's going to be a gift card. What I'm, I may, I may uh, let you guys decide uh, the winner. Uh, it's going to be about 50 bucks. It can be either um, to the W2 capitalist store, or you can do an e-gift card. I can send you an e-gift card to operation underground railroad and you get some of their memorabilia as well. So, 
Uh, we got 16, 17 players. Yeah, it does ask you for your nickname when you come in. Um, I am Speed, Adrian. <laughs> uh, when you come in, it does ask you for a nickname. In order for me to, since I don't know most of you personally, it does uh, benefit you to put your actual name in that I can match it up. But we'll, we'll figure this out. So just a couple more minutes. And then, um, Chris, we're going to cut into your time. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, uh, this is about a two and a half minute. Brody says, I don't know what we're doing, but I love it. <laughs> All right. Oh, there's a start button. It was hiding. All right, here we go. We got, uh, we're going to start this off. Uh, 10 questions. Question number one. All right, here we go. In 1919, in which state did investors pay up to 25000 for lots of land and yet... Yes, and you're correct. The faster you answer, the better. The higher the score you're going to get. Florida. That's right. Five people. I can't believe somebody chose, two people chose Arizona. The land had to be dredged up from the ocean. <laughs> Music is overpowering my voice. All right, let me figure out how to turn that down. We're going to go to the next question. Jerry Lee. Nice job. Up like Chris is close behind. Here we go. Next question. True or false? John Malone ranks number one in the largest private landowner in the U.S. Owning 2.2 million acres. Mr. Malone is where we all want to be. He is a multi, I think he's a multi-billionaire, but he owns 2.2 million acres in the U.S. Pretty astounding. Um, all right, next question. Up like Chris, taking the lead. Nice job. Question number three. There are 2.43 billion acres of land in the U.S. What percent Six people got it right. 72%. I was pretty astounded about this. I thought the government would have uh, a lot more, but 72% of that 2.43 billion acres is privately owned. Chris S. Congratulations, sir. Taking over the leaderboard. All right. Next question. True or false? The White House has been valued at over $500 million. True or false? Answer is false. The real answer to this, or the true answer to this, is over a hundred million dollars. I thought it was going to be more than that myself. So uh, let's see who Chris S knows his stuff. That's incredible, buddy. You got in the commanding lead, but Tyler L is coming up quickly. All right, question number five in the movie. In the movie, the Money Pit. 
What did Walter and Anna pay for the $1 million fixer-upper? thousand dollars so we've at least have one tom hanks fan uh that watched the movie the money pen it's been a while since i uh, watched it as well but yes two hundred thousand dollars is what they they paid for that uh fixer one million dollar fixer upper hilarious hilarious movie let's see any changes on the leaderboard no apparently none of the leaders got it right so <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Next question. True or false? In the U.S., there are five times more vacant houses than there are homeless people. That is actually true, which is mind-boggling to hear. And remember, folks, the faster you answer, the more points you're going to earn, right? All right. Let's go to question number seven. Hawaii, Alaska, Vermont, and blank have banned all outdoor advertising billboards. Look at you guys. Either you know your stuff or you saw Eric Upchurch. Uh, throw the answer in the chat, but yes, Maine. Maine is the correct answer. Geo is moving up the list fast. Nice job. All right, Chris S., you're handling on. The, question number eight. The board game Blank was originally created to teach players about the broken nature of capitalism. That's absolutely all right. Yeah, cash flow is the reversed. Uh, no, Eric Upchurch, you're supposed to answer if you <laughs> came in to the uh, Kahoot IT uh, site. But that's okay, buddy. It's okay. You're getting old and your age is fine. We'll, we'll, we'll uh, shuffle you right along. All right, let's see. Rick is on fire. It means you've at least got a few. Oh, we got a new leader. Jerry Lee is taking it. And uh, Tyler L. have taken it from Chris S. All right, here we go. Uh, question number nine. Warren Buffett still lives in the home he bought in 1958 for $31,500. The answer is true. Mota, uh, he's just a freaking rich guy. Yeah. Still lives in a $31,500 house. Jerry Lee hanging on tight, buddy. But Tyler L., Chris S., I'm disappointed you dropped down. All right, here's the last question, all right? Three players just hit an answer streak of three. Here's the last question, then we're going to get to Chris. Last question is, in blank, there were more foreclosures filed than marriage licenses. What year did this happen? and nine. 
Most of you got that one correct. That's pretty cool. All right. So here's the podium winnings. Number three, Rick. Number two, Jerry Lee. Oh, number one. Tyler L. Congratulations, guys. Um, so what we'll do, runner-up Chris S. and you, uh, what I'll do is, Tyler L., if you can just send me, uh, I'll connect with you. We'll get this thing going on, uh, transition it over to uh, Mr. Chris Jackson. Uh, and we're going to play more trivia later on. I'm going to give you guys a little mental break sometime today. But uh, Chris is ready to go, looks like. Got his video on, got his microphone on. Chris, how are you, sir? I'm good. How's, uh, how's my mic volume? Pretty good. Yeah. You need it. All right, good. I can hear you guys. Welcome, everybody. Good morning. What, what day is it? I don't remember what day it is anymore. <laughs> It is Saturday, April the 18th, day two All right. of the virtual summit. <laughs> cool. Thank you, everybody, for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jay. Yes, sir. All right. I'll tell you a little bit about me just so we can get into it. So why, why should you be listening to this, this guy? Uh, I was a W-2 for a very long time. I started my real estate uh, investment journey about 10 years ago. I'm 44 now. And uh, I dreamt about being a real estate investor uh, since I was like 21. So uh, from 21 to 34, there was a lot of analysis paralysis and I didn't do anything. I just thought I was a real estate investor in my mind and didn't do anything, just a lot of thinking about it. So at 34, uh, I just said I couldn't talk to this to, uh, about, uh, about real estate investing anymore to my wife. So I had to take action and I did. And uh, since then, uh, in the last 10 years, I've done over uh, 500 unit transactions. Uh, I have, we have about 300 units now in our portfolio. I've, I've flipped, I've wholesaled, I've lent money, uh, raised over $12 million. Our largest property is a uh, 170 plus unit. Uh, that one was a raise of a little over four and a half million. And uh, yeah, I'm an, I'm, I'm an introvert. So I, I hope this gives some people hope out there for those that tend to be more analytical, uh, that tend to get stuck in analysis paralysis. That, that was me. So, and I, and I, as an introvert, I, I really lean towards being a, a field of computer programming because it, 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 it helped my introversion. So I just became a really badass computer programmer, but I hid behind my computer for a very long time. And I knew that there was something uh, inside of me that was, that was more, uh, that I had to, that I could give more. I had in, an extrovert inside of me, like Gino says, uh, Gino, uh, Gino's a great mentor to me, Gino, Barbara, Jake and Gino, but we, we call ourselves ambiverts. So uh, I spent time developing my extroversion from my introversion. And 10 years ago, when I began real estate investing, I, I, I actually went to a RIA meeting and I went up to shake somebody's hand and it was like, dude, it was probably like clammy hand, bro. And uh, I spoke to one person and it was like, checkbox, I'm good. And uh, I, I kept on, I didn't, I didn't put a lot of pressure on myself. I just allowed myself to build and develop my uh, relationship building skills and become a very good networker. And what I found was actually that my superpower now, uh, beyond I think I have a, a very high skill set in analytics, 
but uh, it's actually relationship building, which would seem very odd from a, an introvert. So I hope this gives hope to the W-2s and non-W-2s out there that have always thought about getting into real estate investing. Uh, I, I, I had a W-2 for a, a long time and I became a partner at the company. And last year I sold uh, a bunch of uh, properties and uh, have been a full-time real estate investor for a little over a year now. So that was in the works for 10 years, but actively I would say it was really a push for the last three years to make that transition and I did it. So uh, I, I hope that uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna do this as a and A. I want this to be uh, an ask me anything. I can, I can talk to flips, I can talk to raising money, I can talk about the fear of raising money, syndications, structures, my wife is a W-2 still, so we get to take advantage of the tax advantages of that. I'm the, pro, I'm the real estate professional. Uh, so there's a lot of things that, we can, uh, that I can talk about. Uh, one of the things, I can talk about mindset. The only thing is I don't want to get into mindset because I feel like a lot of the presenters have done that already. I think, uh, Jay, when you and I go into some chats, you and I can be a jabber jaw about this stuff. We love to talk about it. Uh, Absolutely. We'll get into my view of mindset. I think I can offer something different. Uh, but I do want to share my screen now for you before we get into Q&A because I, I, when I post online, I, 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 some of you may be following me. I'm starting to increase my social media presence, which is weird for an introvert, but I'm, push, I'm pushing it. Uh, but I like to add high value. I always appreciate high value content. So what I want to do right now is not just do my spiel and you know, who am I to listen to and my credibility. But uh, before we get into Q&A, I want to give something to the audience, uh, uh, share my screen of uh, four high value nuggets that I go through in underwriting a deal. And it doesn't necessarily have to be multifamily. This is location, quick things that I do. And I'm going to share my screen. You might know them already. You might not. But these things are pretty granular. And, you know, granularity is actually where you... You know, you make the money. It's uh, it's like Gary Vee talks about the clouds, aspirational, and then the the dirt. I like I like giving high value dirt content. So uh, let's uh, let's get into sharing my screen. Let's just make sure you guys can all see it here. Just uh, share my screen. It's going to be this one. Share. Okay, you guys see a map in front of you that looks like a flood map. I'm good to go. Okay. All right, so this is gonna. This is what Sharpline, our company, Sharpline Equity. Uh, we have one, one disqualifier that I don't have to spend any time on. If somebody sends me a lead on a deal, and this can get, I, this is a little bit extreme, so I'm just putting it out there. Don't have to have everybody do this. Like you can invest in flood zone properties if you understand all the risks, but for us, it's a no, and it saves me a lot of time. Uh, you go to, when you go into Google, you type in FEMA flood maps, and then you're going to type in a, an address. I'm going to hide the address here just because this is an actual property. And I feel like I'm talking negatively about it. So I don't really want to uh, like show you the address, but you go to FEMA flood maps, you enter the address and it will come up. And sometimes it takes a little while for the, the data to come up. So I loaded it. But what I want to explain is this, if you can, do you see my, uh, do you see my cursor move, Jay? Yes, sir. All right, cool. All right, guys, this is a multifamily property that has a footprint somewhat like this right here. 
In this particular multifamily property, what this means is this is an A zone. The, the, uh, the stripe zone at the bottom is going to be your federal flood zones that are going to force flood insurance. But most of the time, this A area to this blue area, if you have a mortgage, they usually make you put flood zone insurance on. So these three buildings on this particular footprint of this property are going to need flood insurance. So here's what we do as a group. If I went into this and look at this address and, and the broker's like chatting my ear off, like this is the best thing since sliced bread. And I go look at this, I'm like, pass. I just am not interested in, in moving forward on this. The reason also is, I'm going to give you some high value stuff. This is the last time FEMA came to redo this map eight years ago. Do you or do you not think that when FEMA comes back, they need money? They're going to increase the footprint of their area. What this means is that you do have risk that other areas of this footprint could be increased and therefore your flood insurance could go up. So for us, so that's a good thing we always do. And now say, say, at the, say the property ended here and there was the last time FEMA came back, it was 2018, 19 or something. It probably wouldn't come back in a while. So we would then probably look at saying, is this building have enough base elevation from where the flood zone is? So I know flood zone stuff is boring, but the reason I can bring this up is because we actually had a property. It was my business partner, Krista Testani, uh, but I was, she was in this deal before us, but before we were partners, but I became to know all the details of the deal and I helped her through it. Great property. Uh, we're shelling out about, uh, I mean, nine to 11% returns. Everything's great. And then two years later, FEMA came back and it was a creek next to it. And they pulled in three of her buildings and the returns went down to like five. We egg, uh, she exited and it was an annualized nine out, but it was definitely a save. So we've been through it. We've seen what happens. So that's the reason why we are a no go. I hope that helps some people save time and you can adjust your own viewpoint of, of flood zone investing. We are a no, but I know some people that do it and do well with it. You just have to know all the details. The next thing. All right. This, uh, so what you do is go to Trulia. You type in an address that's near your area that you want to invest in. You click on the particular property and then you're going to see some icons at the bottom. I mean, we're giving away the address here. So there goes my theory. Sorry. Sorry, dude, who owns this? Um, here we go. Trulia, crime. Now this would be a lower crime area, but this is a great tool to just, if you don't know the area, you can just start like honing in on what you talk to your next, uh, you can call the police department. You can look at other crime maps. You can talk to the broker to see if they're BSing you. It just gives you a lot of data to sound like a badass on the phone. Uh, over here, I mean, also you have to remember that these are relative crime statistics. So just because you have darker blue doesn't mean that it's New Jack City. You know, it, like you just have to be like, these are where you just, it gives you extra information and data points so that maybe you go there at night. I want to go here at, it can look like Pleasantville at 11 a.m. And then at night, it's not. So these are little tricks that you can do to help to uh, just get closer to, do you want to invest in here? Do you not? Do you know what you're getting into? Do you not? Does it align with what you're thinking you're doing? 
And then uh, this is a great tool. I love this tool. This is called Statistical Atlas. And in Statistical Atlas, you can drill down. Uh, I think this is in the Tampa area, actually. I can show you how you get there. There's a lot of data, Statistical Atlas. But basically, you drill down into the area you want to you check out, and then you click into a specific area. And on the household income side, you hit track map. And I know this is, I know I speak fast, like a fast New Yorker. I apologize, uh, but uh, I can't keep up with my brain sometimes. Uh, <laughs> uh, but like it's recorded, so you'll be able, you'll have to rewind and stuff, but it's high value stuff. It's great. So uh, you go into the track that you want to check out because if you're investing in what you think is a B area, you're going to hope that there's higher income, household income levels. So you can use these areas. I believe this is 2018 data that you would have to confirm that. But you can see what the household income is. And what you can do is just kind of get a baseline of usually you have, uh, when you're in the rental space, uh, your property managers or yourself, if you're self-managing, you're looking for three times income. So you would take this area and, and take 52,000 divided by 12. That's giving you the monthly income divided by three. And that's going to kind of give you a, your affordability of that area. So you can decide, if, are you pushing it too hard? Are you, are you, are you think you're going to make, maybe pushing your rents too much? Am I in place? Like, am I, am I just dreaming? And, but remember also, areas change. Like, if this is 2018 data, you now have to look and see, was this a path of progress area? Maybe this area started to do better. These are just tools that I use every day. And I have no problem going back to this when people ask me questions. So if we want to go back to this, don't ever, but like we can freestyle. This is a Zoom call. We can freestyle. Now here's this. I use this all the time. A lot of people don't know this. I, we invest in Augusta, Georgia, uh, bullish on Augusta. And this is Google Alerts. What you can do here is set up alerts uh, for, your, for your area. Yeah, look at that. Look, look at that. I, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, Lehigh Valley area. I just gave that away. Free, free info for everybody. Um, so in Augusta, you add things like Augusta economy, Augusta growth, Augusta new headquarters, Augusta population growth. And what happens is you can do these on your own and take a look at your listings to see if they're in line with what you hope is happening for the area. But the beauty is, is that every day, You'll only get one email and see the, the, uh, anything that is coming about. And you don't have to go searching for it every day. So I use this all the time for various places that I'm interested in. Maybe it's an area I'm not super interested in, but if, if you see certain indicators, you might want to spend more time. And I use this all the time. So that's that. I will stop share. All right. Chris, I didn't know you were going to show us all of your secrets. I, I wouldn't say they're all. Some of yeah. your secrets. I didn't know about the FEMA map, and I didn't know yeah. about Statistical Atlas. Yeah, man. And those are huge. Those are huge. Sorry. You can also use another one. There's others out there. City data is a good one. I just happen to like the uh, user experience of Statistical Atlas. It is a tongue twister. Um, I have a few questions popping in. You want to you get to those? Let's go. Uh, Derek Barker, uh, excuse me, Derek Baker asked, what qualifies you as a real estate professional? Uh, I, I believe the IRS designation is 750 hours a year. 
of time. And I would say that that gets blown away in like four months for me. Yeah. And uh, also, when I was, I wasn't actually officially a W two, but I was, I owned my own company, but I was, it was kind of like a job for me. But I did still put in over uh, about five years ago. I think I was a real estate professional, but I was, I was hustling it. I, I put in my seven fifty hours for sure. And as um, we had Natalie Claudio on yesterday, she's a tax strategist. She will happily answer that for you and give you the right correction or uh, give you the right uh, advice. Uh, best way to get that advice, though, if you don't, if you already have a CPA, is talk to them, right? If you don't have a CPA, you should have one. Yeah, CYA, CYA. Yeah, CPA, CYA. That's right. <laughs> uh, Nicholas Troutman asks, "How do we balance?" I love this question, Nick. Uh, Nicholas, how do we balance paralysis analysis with waiting to see what happens in the market right now? Okay, uh, I'm going to take this in like a decision tree. Where are you in your investment career? New? Are you new? Have you never bought before? I would say let's just like uh, let's let's just take yeah. that trunk down. If you are an experienced real estate investor, obviously it the overall theme is be very careful and know what you're doing right He's now. New. And you should always that should be the advice always. But in a market that is either going to fall or fall at what rate and nobody knows, you need to be very careful of what you're doing. The last 2000, call it nine and 10 until now, uh, your sins could be forgiven by the market. They will not now. <laughs> yeah. So you need to just, I would say, but to answer your question, though, if you have no deal experience under your belt, I would say, let's look at this as a positive. You need to learn your craft. And this is a great time to actually have sellers that will give you the time of day. It still may not be easy to find deals, but you're going to have people listening in a different way now. And the market will start to do some interesting things over the next year or two. And it's a great time to get in. But I, I implore you to learn your craft. I have, I spent a lot of time getting good at this. Yeah. And, I'll add on to that. Uh, if you don't mind, Chris, Nicholas, what I advise, you know, people who come through the mastermind is the mastermind is there to push you to do stuff and get you out of your comfort zone or whatnot. But a lot of people, and now I think analysis paralysis is thrown around a lot for people who haven't made a decision. Um, you have to practice enough to find the courage to pull the trigger, right? And that's just it. If you haven't practiced enough, there's a chance that you you're not having analysis paralysis. You just haven't done it enough to say, yes, I can make a smart decision to go do this right now. If you've analyzed property, if you've analyzed three properties a day for the last year and you still haven't pulled the trigger, it's possible. You, to, you, you should be asking, there's something else. There's a limiting belief somewhere yeah. else. Either if people around you are telling me that is a good deal and you haven't pulled the trigger, there's something else. Yep. And, and you have to know what a good deal is. Like you have to know, I like what Michael Zuber said. I'm going to say it like not exactly like him, but he says you have to know what a, an okay deal is, a good deal is, a great deal is, and a home run deal. You have to know that. And, but, but don't use what I just said as the thing to then stop you. Oh my gosh, I don't know what that is. Your goal is to figure out how you begin to know what that is. Like you have to, like, that, that kind of stuff scared me. I was like, but I don't know it yet. Therefore, I'm not going to do anything. And I used it as a crutch. I did the I had same to go thing. to people I trust and figure out and, and, and 
to constantly bounce it off to figure out if I was in line with good, great, awesome, or completely off. Yeah. Uh, and Michael Zuber will be on this afternoon. Uh, we'll get to hear him do, uh, yeah. Plug, plug to Michael Zuber. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brody Oaks. Brody is one of our mastermind members. Uh, ask, how do you, Chris, classify, uh, properties in A, B, C, or D? Because it always seems to be a little different. Yeah, that's true. That is, that is true. Um, I think if you get locked in too hard, uh, you might just like adjust your thinking too much. Uh, like to like, it's not an A, it's not a B. I'm going to call A right now, uh, 2010 and newer. And then you're going to have like uh, 1990s, uh, 19, 1980s to that to 2010 be like a B product. And then, uh, I don't know, like an age class 60s, uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, bit of 80s uh, is going to be C class. And then, but that's, that's asset class. Uh, you could have a 1910 building that's been redone in 2010 and it has the asset class characteristics of an A class, you probably could call that a B plus as long as it's in an area that justifies that same designation. No, so just I'll, be careful on, just be careful on the, I wouldn't get too hung up on that. Like, it's not like that, 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 that gets too binary for me. I don't think along those lines, there are gray bands in between each one. I love the, um, the year as a parameter to start classifying properties. I've never heard that, but that makes total freaking sense. That's awesome. Um, Clayton, you, can, you can miss a deal too. If you have, if you have a 1920s building that somebody did a full gut, like all underground plumbing, the sewer lines, like to the studs, electrical's done, the windows are done, the roof is done and it's in a gray area. And you're like, Oh, this is a D building. You, you missed. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, Clayton Mercer, tell us more about breaking through the introvert wall when networking. Do you have tips, yeah. tricks, uh, systems in place? Spoken, sure. asked like a true uh, introvert, and I could recognize that because I am one, but he's asking about systems. Uh, total fallback for most introverts. So thank you for asking that, Clayton. Yeah, I would say that uh, the first part about breaking through the introversion barrier is you're, one uses the wrong reference point a lot. And that was my mistake in the beginning. It was, I want, I thought I needed to be the Johnny handshake guy. I did, so when I, when I wasn't, I thought I was doing something wrong. And I was like, I'll never be that good. We're not getting there. That kind of self-talk BS. And so what I did is I changed, I wiped the whiteboard clean, if you will. And I just allowed myself to go slow. I just met one person, realized hey, that was good. Next time, two. Maybe the next time it was two again and just got myself comfortable. I allowed myself to build bricks of confidence in those areas. So don't use the wrong reference point. Yeah. Systems, I mean, systems you can use, like system, like use systems, but I'm gonna say this, and this is gonna be jarring to introverts because I'm a tech introvert. Ask yourself, are you lying to yourself by using systems and not doing the actual work of getting through? Like the, the real, like you're spending more time on systems because that's supposed to help you. Use the systems after you've broken through to then have more pipeline of 
interactions. But at the beginning, I would go full on old school. And by old school right now in quarantine, I'm going to go old school on new school. Like you can't be handshake bro right now. It sucks. But like I'm an introvert that broke through and I, 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 I'm yearning for the handshake and bro. I'm going to, I'm going to hug. Like when we're done with this and everybody's cool, like I, I'm, I think I'm going to be like bro hug, bro. <laughs> and like for everybody. <laughs> but in the virtual world, uh, if you have comments from people on Facebook or groups and you feel like there's alignment, they're liking your stuff, you just have a, a vibe on Facebook, direct message them. Hey, sounds like we like the same thing. We're, we're thinking alike. Here's my cell phone. Do you want to do a chat? And then get on the phone and just chat and see if you just can do the human uh, communication element to see. And then you never know a year from now, you're going to visit Charlotte and being like super, super bros with somebody that you never would have had. So use that new school, an old school method and in a new school quarantine virtual way. And uh, Max posted in the chat, uh, cold call owners, property owners that will solve your intro problem pretty quickly. Uh, I, and I'll challenge you this too, um, is don't think that Clayton ever, if you go to a meetup or what Chris was just talking about, we're in quarantine that you've got to reach out to everybody on your list or everybody at the meetup. The first time you do this, and I'm going to challenge you to do it today, reach out to one person. Yeah. Love just it. do it one. Um, great stuff, Chris. Uh, I would say, I would say cold calling owners. I, I, who that, that must've been an extrovert. <laughs> I would because I've done the cold calling thing and uh, it works. He's they're right. It, it totally it, it toughens you up. It definitely does. Like let's get let's get tough talk too. It toughens you up. Um, the only thing though, from I respect that comment. I just want it for the introverts out there. When you go cold call and you've done it for done it before and you talk to the the sellers and you suck at it, just be okay with sucking at it. Don't make it seem like you were supposed to be awesome at it. That's, that's the big thing. Cause then you'll feel bad about yourself and not do it again. Yeah. It, and I tell this to my sales team when we try a new um, sales tactic or sales play is the first time you do it, accept that you're going to suck at it. Just if you can accept that your first interaction with a co-calling owner that you're going to suck at it, just, it'll be fine. Then the next one's going to get better and better and better. So absolutely. Uh, Chris is good stuff. Um, what are the Pia pool ask? What are the tax benefits remaining of remaining a W2? You mentioned that your wife has remained one for that reason. Yes. Uh, the tax, the, the tax benefits are, I get to take my, uh, passive losses, paper losses across the entire joint income. So if you take a bonus depreciation, like say for instance, you do a, I mean, this is where real estate gets amazing is, if you close a deal, say, I'll just give you the extreme. You close a deal on, say, December 27th of the year. You are going to have high expenses. You have the closing costs and everything. You don't have any income for that month because you closed at the end of the month, really. Uh, and now you get to take bonus depreciation. That all gets applied to mine and her as the joint. That's, you, you get to keep more. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm a testament to that, too. I mean... My adjusted gross income was about a hundred thousand less than what it actually was because of real estate uh, last year. And 
And when you're going, well, now, I mean, with lending up in the air, I'm going to say the pre-corona, like, don't apply this exact thing to what's happening now with lending. But like, um, they add depreciation back it from just, do you have cash flow going on? Yep. Well, and you, or you have to tell your banks to do that. They should. Pia Pool asks, uh, Jay, you recommend that we analyze three properties a day. So if you're just starting out and you don't, the way that I did this, I came in um, looking at single family. Uh, and it would take me probably 45, 45 minutes a day to do this to where I got down to it. I, I started and I focused on just one area that I wanted to invest in. After about 90 days of doing three properties a day, I was down to five minutes in the back of a napkin because it was just repetition over and over and over again. What Chris is talking about and, and, uh, multifamily, it takes longer to do, right? Um, Chris, when you first started out, how many, how many properties would you say a new person who's just starting out that wants to ramp up and take advantage of what appears to be a, you know, a dip in the market or a coming dip in the market? How many properties do they need to, to analyze in a week? Yeah, you wouldn't, uh, as, as you start out, you need to be gentle. You're not going to be able to crush a, an underwriting session in maybe even one day. You won't know what you're doing. It will take some time. But I think that once you get into the basic mechanics of how to manipulate most of the variables that are involved in a multifamily project, you should be trying to at least be doing it probably three times a week. Like so one, even if one comes in and you say you do the, so you say so you adhere to my type of viewpoint of underwriting with the flood zones and it's a throwaway in the beginning, you shouldn't throw it away. You, you should know that this deal is not going to work if you, if you put in the right flood zone insurance numbers, assuming it doesn't, uh, but you should do the underwriting anyway to just get your, your habitual, uh, you got, you got to get your mind popping. You got to be able to see things in code like Neo in the matrix. <laughs> Um, can you write, ask if you will walk through statistical Atlas again in slow-mo, uh, bullet points you choose to utilize making a buying decision on a property? Sure. Can you walk through statistical Atlas again? Sure. Yes, I can. All right. So let's just start from, let's just start from the beginning. So let's just re remember something though. I, I don't, uh, d making a decision about purchasing a property isn't based on just one variable alone. So I would say, I'm going to preface this with, this would be, this exercise would help inform me if I should be investing in this deal, but it depends on what I'm after. If I'm after a B, B plus area that's going to have rents of 1200 a month, I'd probably need something like, I would definitely be wanting to have 40 to $50,000 of income uh, household income. And then I'd also be, I would also be bouncing that back from uh, crime areas. So, but let's just, let's just go through so I can uh, just take you through. Let's pick. I'm just going to pick Florida. So I'm at the top level statistical Atlas. You then go to the area and I think it was over here that I was looking at. You narrow down to as close as you can to what the area is. And then once you hit this area, you go to the right navigation and do household income. And then you, you can, you do have a lot of other metrics here that are pretty awesome. I use this one a lot, household income distribution. You see how many people in this tract make up that average. That starts to get pretty data wonky, but uh, you know, we're geeks. So yeah, uh, here we go. Where is it? Here you go. 
and then you you go down to the tract and this is this is the then you can compare to a map next to you on another screen uh, i mean that's why a lot of us have two or three screens because you would bring up another geographical map and just really try to hone in on the area um, to help inform you on that decision. Uh, this alone wouldn't, wouldn't tell me if I'm a yes or no. It would be many other factors. Uh, say I was, if, if this area was very high, uh, 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 like we're buying this because, I'm just picking numbers, but we're buying this because it's 160,000 a unit. The, the rents I'm hoping are gonna be 17 to 1800. Um, I, I, want it, I want it to be in this zone, 51,000, 79,000. If, if we see it and it's like, over here in 34,000, I would, I would start to get a, like, what's going on? Am I missing something? Is the data out of date? Maybe, maybe this area just is starting to pop. That starts to get a little more speculative. I, I hope, I hope that answers the question. I'm trying to find my mute button. Sorry, Chris. I am definitely going to play around with that. So Kenny, I may do an additional webinar around that. So thank you for the question. And Chris, thank you for the resource. I, I didn't know that yeah. existed. So oh, you, um, you can also guys, you can go to uh, sharpblindequity.com slash resources. And uh, I have a bunch of other cool stuff there. Like, uh, I hope I have this up, but it's the it's <laughs> county, it's county population growth. That's, that's really helpful. too. So go to sharplineequity.com slash resources. And uh, we have a bunch of this stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Todd Helzer asked, if you had to focus on one deal funnel avenue, driving for dollars, cold calling, et cetera, as a beginner to learn during this time, what would you recommend? Uh, is it possible for you to ask? You, you can't ask him it back, right? That would be tough. Um, in this, um, the reason I'm asking is if it's single family, if it's single family, I would uh, be driving for dollars on stuff that has high grass and, uh, and be looking for like list source and things like that for second homeowners that are that are willing to dump a property right now. Mm. So I'd be looking for signs of this person is has owned high equity, so you don't run into a debt issue where they can only sell for a certain amount, or you get into sub two, different topic, but that's possible. But I think highly effective would be direct mail to high equity second homeowners. And then if you can go for the ones that look like they haven't been there in a while and, and ultra target those, then take on the cold call piece and power those on the laser targeted. And he did add in here that's a uh, single family for buying holds. Okay, so yeah, good. Uh, P.S. That whole thing can be just done for smaller multifamily too. Under 50, 60 units, you can do the same thing on that. Awesome. Well, uh, obviously not second home, but third. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Ross D says, what are the steps to analyze a deal to determine the quality of the deal? So what are the, th what are some of the things that you use? Obviously you're looking at flood zones, right? Crime reports. What are some of the other things that you use as criteria realizing that everybody's criteria is a little different, right? I always ask my, so it's, it's also a, a dependent on vintage. Vintage is the year built or year rehabbed. So I'm going to ask uh, very specific questions of the broker's to find out what have they done? When was the last time the roofs were done? When were the windows done? What about the ACs on the property? All these things. If it's uh, pre-1975, I'm going to ask right away, do you know if the seller or the previous seller did the underground mainline pipes, replace them from galvanized cast iron to PVC? If it's 75, uh, I'll just ask maybe it's ductile, ductile pipe. Uh, like I ask a lot of questions about what has been done to the property. And then I find out by whom. Some operators are a little bit, uh, yay, we did this, but it's done 
really haphazardly. So you have to know who you're buying from too. Highly recommend. And you just threw out a lot of terms there that probably as a newbie, you're not going to know. So as you know, we're talking about in this uncertainty time of the market, this is a perfect time to start researching that. I hope you guys are feverishly writing notes or come back and watch the replay of this. To, to uh, like I said, I'm saying this stuff fast because I hope you guys rewatch this. And, and I mean, that's the work too. I mean, you have to like yeah. do the work of rewinding all this stuff and then go looking up the terms. Like that's the work to get. I did all that. I didn't know stuff. I sounded like an idiot half the time or most of the time when I first started out. Arma asked, do you recommend purchasing properties in your immediate area or based on market growth? I am go- so I don't have an exact science on this. So what number one, uh, so I live on Long Island and in the New York metro area, which is very difficult to buy properties that make sense. It's a lot of people that are competing with high capital, parking money. They want to walk over to their property and kick it and they don't care if it makes money. I can't compete with that. So assuming you're not in an area like that, but you're in, I don't know, somewhere in Ohio, right? Uh, but like, you're not sure if you love that market in Ohio versus you flying on planes to everybody's talking about the Southeast. I think that locality and ease of getting to properties to know the market, know the brokers, know the property managers, know the vendors, and just know when that, oh, I don't like that one block over there or, oh, that property that you told me about that is totally been redone. Yeah. Why does it have a tarp over the entire roof? Like locality is going to supersede market growth somewhere else. Assuming you're not in a market that just doesn't make sense at all. Great, great um, question and answer. Obi Gutierrez, I hope I'm saying your name right. Um, He asked, do you use these tools uh, that you showed us to study a market first or do you find the property first and then go look at the tools? Uh, well, I'm pretty, I'm pretty dialed into the markets that I want to hit. So I've used these tools to help me get into a market. They were part of my analysis of why I like a market. Then when you get a property, you're getting to the track level and flood zoning. So I would say these are probably more property level analysis. Uh, market level analysis would be using these tools but mainly some upper level tools like population growth, job growth, who's in the, what are the employers in the area? So, so from a market, uh, market picking, I think you would use these next. You picked a market, do you like it? And now you cruise around in Statistical Atlas and see uh, the various tracks of income and crime. Awesome. Jerome Hildreth, I'm, I'm, um, he asked, he's a new investor. He says he's a new investor. Uh, what steps should he use for acquiring a four-unit property to purchase? What steps? Yeah, what, what would be step number one? If you laid it out in steps, oh. how would you, uh, what would you advise him to do? Uh, this is going to depend on, uh, how, do you have the capital to do it? If you don't, then you need to figure out how you're going to get somebody either to help you sign on the loan or the equity required. So you have to understand how to navigate a partnership, a JV, a money lending situation. So that'd be one, be capital dependent. If you figured that out, uh, whether it's yourself or partnership, then you go and pick your areas just like this. You pick your areas and you go find one that has the right fit for you and how much capital you can deploy. And also what your strengths and weaknesses are. If you are not a rehabber, and you're not super stoked on running general contractors or I, I would probably pick nicer stuff that doesn't need it and be okay with less yield. Yeah. 
and if you want to, um, Jerome, if you want to add a little bit more detail on the question, we can probably get a little bit more specific to that. Corey Warmoth, a few questions in one, and I, I love this question. Can you, Chris, can you talk about leveraging outside capital to accelerate and scale? You said you've raised quite a few million dollars to uh, invest. And when does it make sense to bring in a silent investor uh, and how do you structure those deals? The structure of that deal is going to depend on every single deal. It's different. You have a lot of errors in your quiver, though. You can use them as debt if, if you don't have a mortgage on it. So they can be the debt holder. You can set it up as a, a syndication style, if you will. You don't need to syndicate if it's just one person and you know them, but like you, you can set it up where you get a split of the profits uh, from cash flow or exit. Uh, there's quite a number of different ways that you can do it. I think the biggest decider of how you approach which direction you go is um, who are they? What is their risk tolerance? Do they want profit in the deal or do they want more fixed payment and what is the recourse of that fixed payment? Is it debt-like and a, a mortgage note-like recourse? Uh, I mean, I started out uh, 10 years ago. I mean, I don't mind saying it. it. Like it was my mom and my mom's not a rich person. Like we did, we are middle, probably middle, middle class. I'd lost my dad. My mom was a retired school teacher, not making a lot of money and she took a chance on me. So it was a uh, like it took me a year to convince my mother. So I don't want anybody to think it was like, oh, if I just had a rich mom, it would be so easy. Not not even close. So I structured it like debt with my mother and I, I gave her payments. And uh, to this day, it changed, has changed her entire paradigm of how money works. And I think that that's a wonderful thing. And she gets a, quite a few dollars every month from me for the last 10 years and from the properties. It's a It's a wonderful thing when you do it right. So I've got it. This is my question. Do you still invest with your, with your mom? My mom comes into a lot of deals still and she gets nice. recurring checks on all properties that she's still with us. So yeah. it's hard to turn away once you get a taste, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah. My, and, and the thing is, it's interesting is that it's a paradigm shift. I mean, that's a lot of people just don't grow up with understanding how money works. I feel like when you come or exposed to more wealthy families, there's just a talk about making money work. When you don't come from that, it's a very new type of thinking. It's like my mom started to understand like, well, I don't want that deal, even though it's probably going to yield me more because I like the more consistent cash flow and I'll take less. Like it's an interesting way to start to understand how to analyze risk. John Chasen asked, are there any tools or resources to, to help with deal flow for multifamily? And he mentions Reonomy, which I'm not uh, familiar with. Yeah, I have, I have Reonomy. I mean, it, it, there's a big bifurcation in multifamily, meaning like if, if you're talking about 100 plus, I got to tell you, it's going to be brokers. You got to work on your broker relationship. So if we're talking about under 100, and really what I mean is like about under 80, 50, 40, 30, 20 units, that stuff, you can use Reonomy. You can use, uh, you can use uh, direct mail. Prospect Now is good. And if you got the bucks, uh, you can do Yardy. And then if you got the bucks, uh, super bucks, because it is expensive, it gets kind of gross, but, uh, but CoStar is rad. And yes, I said rad. Taking us back to 1980. You know, you said something earlier about rewind. Now you're saying rad. You're really aging yourself here. This I'm a morning. Gen X. I'm not going to apologize, man. I'm 44. <laughs> me too. Me too. 
there's only re- there's only one reason I know that, right? <laughs> uh, Cindy's got a great question here. Uh, Cindy asked, "My properties are in upstate New York, and we are affected by many of the laws that were passed last year with New York City in mind. Sure. Do you invest in New York? And if so, are you working on moving your investments elsewhere?" So I started in upstate. New York, that's where I started my uh, career. It was uh, a six hour drive from where I was. That was part of how I isolated on my decision making and uh, built a, a, a substantial portfolio, uh, sold a bunch last year. But yeah, they, they added a new uh, eviction law that you had to follow certain steps that probably extended in upstate New York, which was normally a, let's call it 60 day eviction process that started to become more like three or four months. Uh, yes, that, that's going to affect your underwriting. Uh, upstate New York is not the same that you're reading about New York City, so it is different. I'm not going to say don't invest in upstate New York, but you can't be thinking about too much appreciation. But I mean, you know, I think there's also been a change, uh, an openness that has occurred in this COVID situation that, and this was my post in your group, that uh, we have 70% uh, subsidy and uh, they're not affected at all. So yeah. maybe some landlords will be, it's going to be op- more open. I'm not saying do it all, do it, but like be more open to the section eight business model. And Cindy does say, yes, they are in Northwest near uh, Elmira, which yeah. I guess fear in New and, York. But I, but I, we, that I'm not building too much more. I'll do a project or two there if we see something because we have such good relationships and can take advantage of it. But from a portfolio building for 10 to 20 years, uh, it would be in different markets. Let's talk about building broker relationships. What are some of the things that you do that, you know, I, a lot of the podcasts that I listen to, things that come up, you know, they're like, hey, build those relationships. Make sure when that broker gets a deal, you're the first person they, they think of to send it to. Yeah. So what are some of the things you do that helps ensure that? And then number two, as a newbie or somebody who hasn't closed a multifamily deal, who's just trying to get into what advantage or what kind of things that they can, can they do to help get their foot in the door sure. with brokers and be top of the mind? So one thing you have to understand about the broker. So, so everything's changed in the last two months. So it has changed, but four months ago, you had to know that even if you're a good buyer, um, you're not going to get the first call. You just have to be okay with that. You just have to know that and it's your work to try to get higher up the rung. But what has helped me get higher up the rung of calls is I'm always looking to sound different on the phone with new information, meaning I'm always looking for what has sold and remembering and writing things down when I hear about a certain deal like, oh, that deal didn't close because it had blue poly pipes. What I do is I write that down and when I'm talking to a new broker, I'll reference it. Oh, is that like that deal that didn't close that had blue poly? And then they're like, who is this dude? How always do you find like, out if a, when a deal doesn't close, how do you find out the reasons? Oh, well, I'm always following up. Like, uh, like that's gotcha. the thing. My follow-up is beastie. Like, you can't mess with my follow-up. Like, it is. Th- you want to talk? Th- there's your system. There it is. There it is. There's like, the beef. There's your system. You've got to follow up. Like, <laughs> I have my system dialed on follow-up. Like, People talk about a deal that I missed. I'm calling them back three weeks later. How's that going? How's that going? Did that, did they in a contract yet? Yes, Chris, they're going to go to contract. They in contract yet? Yes, Chris. Did it go to contract? It's getting a little weird. Did it go to contract? All right, do you want to call tomorrow? 
that's that's good though. That's that's what you got to do. I I'm, I love that you mentioned follow up. Um, love it, love it. I'm getting some some uh, fan favorite over there in the chat box too. Pia Pool has got a question. Have you sought out any investments in economic opportunity zones, or had an investment strategy prioritizing government funding? Uh, do do we are we talk, we're probably talking about the federal opportunity zone? Yes, I, I would imagine. Yes. I believe so. Uh, I can't yeah. wait. I, I can't wait to do one. I, I, I haven't found one yet that meets it because uh, there is something in there called substantially improved to qualify. And the really only way you qualify for a substantially improved, which I'll go into in a second, it's nerdy, but it's good, is uh, if you do new build. If you buy in a federal opportunity zone, but you do new build, you basically qualify. But I wanted to buy, and new build is a whole different thing. I mean, I, I'm, I'm probably going to get involved with that eventually but not right at this exact second, but substantially improved means in order to qualify, if say even if you go find a half vacant multifamily building and you buy for 40,000 a door, in 30 months, you have to put in $40,000 more. So you're gonna be all in 80K and those multiples don't usually work. Like I don't wanna be all in 80K in this area. I will be 40, I'll buy for 40,000 to put 20 a door in, but that's how everybody talks. Sorry, I realize like I'm going very multifamily lexicon, but that's well, that's all. That's another thing, guys. Like talk like this on the phone. Like that's how brokers know that you're dialed in. Like talk about price per door. That's what you say. I'm not going to put in forty per door. I'm not going to buy it for forty per door and then put twenty. I'm not going to put twenty per door and be all in for sixty a door. And I don't qualify for the federal opportunity zone. So to answer the federal, I can't wait. Out, every people out there, if you see a, a, a an OZ property and uh, it looks like you can do that math very quickly, like bring it to me. I'm ready. Very cool. So Rick Ma asked a question. Can we rely on apps like deal check to help analyze deals? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know what deal check is. Uh, so I'm going to sound like a, I'm going to like write them off really quickly, but no. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who they are. Uh, they may be really good and I should look into them, but, uh, I don't know. I, I underwriting is definitely an art. Uh, even if I uh, saw a, an app that was excellent at it, I would still be putting in hours. Yeah, you definitely, it's, it's one of those things where you, you want to, um, trust, but verify. Right. Um, and Chris, you don't know deal check. This is all on me. We, I'm, uh, I'm an affiliate of Dilchek, oh, okay. and I didn't want to mention that because I didn't want to skew your answer. Uh, but Rick, I use Dilchek on small multi multifamilies. Um, it's pretty accurate. Uh, I will do be doing a webinar here up coming up uh, pretty soon to to demo that and how powerful it is. One of the things I love about Dilchek, especially in the single family and the small multifamily space up to four units, is it will. Uh, it's got all these bots that go out and scour the um, the internet interwebs to bring in the the most pertinent data. Now you have to verify that you have to trust it and verify it. But just simply going in and putting an address, it doesn't matter what calculator you're using, uh, putting an address, letting it pull all the data and spit some numbers out without you doing any kind of reconnaissance work on it and 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 verifying that what it pulled is accurate. It's not going to work, right? So just like. Zillow, you know, I think the funniest memes I see are pertaining to Zillow and, and Trulia about how far off these estimates are. Um, but again, you got to make the numbers work for you. And that's what I love about deal check is you can come in there and say, hey, I want to make this percentage on this deal. 
and it'll calculate what your offer has got to be. Right. And I'm going to post because you brought it up. I'm going to post the link, uh, our affiliate I mean, link you in can the chat. Use any tools to help you, uh, save time as long as they're as long as like I, as long as you're not using it as like the end all be all i think if it just aids your processing time i don't think anything's bad i just know yeah. that you need you need to put your you need to put your intelligence over the wrapper of it yeah there's the ai piece but then there's a human element piece you got to come in and just verify cool. it right um christopher linger asked have you done any land banking i feel the hidden costs take the value out of the deal when the visible needs make Visible needs make it a close deal to do. I'm not familiar with land banking. Are you? Uh, I know land bank. Uh, land bank is an upstate New York term uh, where okay. they'll take back uh, tax uh, lien properties or very very huge vacant properties where you can buy things for like five thousand. I've done a land bank property. If we're talking about the same thing, uh, but uh, that that worked earlier in the cycle. Uh, I bought something for five grand, put, well, I put like 20 into it and sold it for 55. So yeah, like, it, but, uh, but a lot of times too, it needs, not a lot, it needs a lot more work than one thing. So just make sure your rehab uh, estimate is dialed in. Yeah. And he, he did verify that as exactly what he was asking for. It's okay. amazing how the, the jargon and lingo can be different from region to region. All right. Got one more question here. You guys, uh, where did it go? Uh, if you could put them in the Q&A, we've got about 10 more minutes with Mr. Chris Jackson. Um, okay, here it is. Corey Warmouth asks, thoughts on a cash-out refi and whether there is any real risk in using a quick, uh, quick claim deed. Um, what I'm assuming, Corey, you mean there is you have a mortgage on the property, you want to quick claim deed it to your LLC, but still have the mortgage in your personal name. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Chris? I'm not going to uh, speak to the nuance of the quick claim deed portion of this, but uh, just on the overall refi, I would just say banks are really illiquid right now. Like, I don't, I don't know if I would be doing that exact thing right at this mo- right at this exact moment in time. I feel like the banks might even say a lot of yes to you, and then you get to the the place of where you see your proceeds, and they're gonna you're gonna see the value of your house be, hey, we'll give you 65% loan to value refi, and you're gonna be like, what? So I, I would find it at this exact moment, a, a refi might be a waste of time. I would wait for the banks to get a little more known. Once, once banks know when quarantine end, they're probably, you're, they're going to have more knowns and you're go, they're going to be more definitive about how they'll land. Right now, they're just going to be scared and give you nothing, mostly. Yeah. And Corey, I will say check with your local statutes because in Florida, if you have a mortgage on the property, you cannot do a quick claim deed um, to an entity anything other than what the mortgage is held in. And I know that from experience. I got nine. So uh, I do know that is a fact. So check out your your state statues on that one. Um, Michael Nunez asked, when you're you're keeping your deal analysis for follow-up, for beginners, do you recommend just keeping everything on a spreadsheet? What kind of tools are you using for for follow-up? Or do you have a CRM? I do have a CRM, but I would say the the biggest uh, advantage I've taken of systems would be for me, it's Trello. I use Trello as my follow-up. It, uh, I move, I move everything along in a column and then you can tie that into reminders into your calendar, uh, for when you should be following up. But Trello is my visualization of when I should be following up. I was introduced to Trello a few weeks ago by a mastermind member, Brody Oaks. Gonna hear that name a lot. The guy's a hustler. It's a, it's a pretty cool tool. I haven't, uh, 
had time to dive into it because of putting this together, but uh, um, it is a very, very cool tool. Uh, LaDonna Brown, what's the best way to finance deals, multifamily or single family in this current economic climate? Cash, private lenders. Agreed. It's, it's going to be a challenge for a little while. Uh, yeah, that is going to be that. I remember this in 2009 and 10 when I got involved, I started looking in nine and 10 and, uh, Bank, banks tighten up. So yeah, you, you should learn about truly the difference between debt and equity and understand and, and get educated. I mean, I'm a get, get educated. I mean, Jay, you have a great mastermind. I mean, I, I like, I, I've been a coach for Jake and Gino for a year now and uh, they have a great program as well. Uh, that like great knowledge there. Uh, I, you just, I had two mentors, everybody. I mean, I know as soon as somebody says mentor, it's like, ah, oh, there he goes, mentor. <laughs> but like, I, I just, I, I had, I had a local guy for, I hired to get my first deal. Awesome. Uh, that got me into the game. And then uh, I hired a, uh, a person that doesn't do it anymore. Uh, they have 3,500 units now. And I hired to learn how to do uh, syndication at the highest level. And I, I paid, I paid a lot of money for it. Uh, so get educated however you feel comfortable in your current uh, financial situation, but uh, get people that will help you along and can teach you how to do it right and how to raise money right. Raising money right is going to become a topic that's pretty serious with the SEC. Like <laughs> as things in the market start to dip a little bit, you're going to start seeing, it won't surprise me if you hear the word syndicator become a bad word. And that's a very big shame because I love being a professional syndicator. Yeah, what's that? Uh, what's that saying? A few uh, or a spoiled apple, a rotten apple spoils the bunch, something like that. Yeah, there's some people out there who are not doing things correctly, and and anyway, it, hurt, it hurts us all. On that topic of mentors and masterminds, don't stop at getting just one. Uh, most of the people in my my mastermind have other ones. There's one guy who's in there who's in a part of three masterminds. Um, because he just, he's in a spot where he wants to connect with people who are like-minded trying to achieve each, each other's goals, right. And keep pushing one another. So yeah, I, I, I feel you. Cause I think, I think a lot of newbies struggle trying to find a mentor, um, and they don't want to pay for one or they don't want to pay for a, a mastermind, but it, it, there is a price to admission, right. And everybody's here to help you when you get into that, uh, group of people, so a lot of people were in my mastermind. It's really inexpensive. I don't know the price on Jake and Gino's, but I have, there's a couple of guys uh, in the mastermind that have been part of that and have attended some of those workshops. Speak highly of those guys. They were here yesterday, quite frankly, because of that, right? So uh, Brody says it's like a gym membership. It is so worth it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, those guys are great. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I've learned so much just being a coach. I mean, the advantage to me, because I think people like, uh, it's just a, it's a negative guru thing, I guess, but it's like, like what I get out of it being a coach is from a selfish perspective, because I want to add credibility. What would, why would I do that? I get exposed to more deal flow and scenario analyzation and, and cadence of deal flow than I ever could on my own. I am a better investor today because I have been exposed to probably 50 different scenarios in the last year that I never would have been exposed to myself. I'm quicker and I've helped my, my students uh, crush it. I mean, I think they did uh, over a hundred units last year from zero to hero. Awesome. That's incredible. 
Um, two more questions just popped in. Barkley uh, Chan asked, how has April's rent collection looked like across your portfolio? So uh, to, to give you context, uh, I'm going to give it a, I have different kind of signatures of property. I have a large single family portfolio. Uh, I had about 50 and now we have 30 single family homes uh, that were actually at like 90% of normal to date. In C-Class, you know, everybody says you collect day one. That's a bunch of BS. <laughs> you're gonna collect. You're gonna collect throughout the month. So don't let anybody tell you that stuff. Like you can get big pops at the end of the month uh, for people that pay, and we'll see. But I'm about. We're about 10% off on a blended average uh, across the entire portfolio of where we are uh, to date. But the thing is, though, remember it's gonna it's gonna change. Like we're 10% off on a day uh, one to now. But the thing is, though, uh, unemployment checks haven't really come to a lot of people. And the stimulus checks just started. Like, residents don't know where they're going to pay food. Like, I don't, I don't blame them for, like, like, oh, my gosh, I don't know where my money is for food. Like, so now that, now that stimulus checks are coming in and unemployment checks are starting to come in, uh, we, we're working with a lot of our residents to figure out what they can pay, what, like, just work. Yeah, everybody's got to work together on this. Like, landlords aren't the big, bad people. We're, we're, we're aware of the situation. We're in touch with all of our residents. Um, and I actually wouldn't be surprised if we get, I don't think we're going to be exactly the same as we were last month, but um, it wouldn't be surprised if we're only five to 7% off at the end of this with just being good owners and communication is, and community development is, uh, is paramount to our asset management and just ethos as humans. Back to that relationship building, right? Not only with brokers, but with your, your tenants in the community that you're in. That's awesome. Um, Cindy Byler asked, recently closed on a HELOC. Do you think I should utilize it soon on renos in fear they will freeze it or decrease the line like they did during the last recession? Oof. Uh, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. Whatever, what I'm about to say cannot be used against me. Asterisk, <laughs> it's for entertainment asterisk. purposes only. Asterix, asterix. I'm just telling you what I would do. Uh, depends on your finance. I would, I would. Ooh. Do you have the money to pay it back? What are you doing with it? But I, I it, it could become frozen on you. What would you do? Yeah. Um, Cindy, I'll tell you what I did. This is, does not, again, to Chris's point, asterisk, asterisk, asterisk. Uh, this is not financial advice. Uh, I had a couple of line of credits. Uh, two weeks ago, I made those liquid cash so that the banks couldn't do it. I don't plan to do anything with those. Uh, you said you're going to use yours for renos. I, mine are sitting in savings accounts at separate banks. Uh, in the event when I, because I think there's a dip coming and I want to be in a cash situation where I can take advantage of. And you uh, are okay with the financial discipline yes. of, of with that cash liquid that has to be paid back and you're okay with the interest that you are paying. Yes, on. yes absolutely. But liquidity is key, but make it's power. That's the thing. And with great power comes great responsibility. Yes. It is. And it takes two or three. I, so I do this to myself. I put the, put those, uh, accounts in all of our normal kind of accounts that uh, we donate to, or we, we, uh, uh, deposit to every month into an account that takes me three or four steps in a few days to get it out. Just, just on your own discipline to make yes, sure that you Yes, yes, that's how I keep my discipline. That's my system back to, uh, who was it, uh, Corey, I was asking for uh, systems. That's my system to help make sure I don't, oh, 
shiny new object. I think I need it. No, it's, <laughs> it, it doesn't happen that way. Ask, ask that uh, person that asked that question if that was sufficient, because I know we, we, we just like, that is a very serious answer, but like, is she, she's good. Okay. Yeah. She said, yes, she's good. She's got 1.99% here. Reno will make apartment habitable and therefore will cash flow. So if you're talking about a down unit, yeah, I personally yeah. would do it, but each his own, right? Chris Jackson from Sharpline Equity, you spent an hour, I was going to say an hour and 15, but we kind of killed some of your time with our trivia questions. Um, but you have enabled us to learn a lot this morning about multifamily. So uh, if you want to check him out, you can go to w2capsummit.com. And then we've got a link, a few links to Chris. He said he was getting more involved in social media. He posts a lot in the W2 Capitalist uh, community, which I am very thankful for because it, he is, does add value. What's the comment you said earlier? High value, dirt content. <laughs> that what, was that what it was? Yeah, the dirt. Oh, uh, dude, dirt. I love that. I love that. Uh, but we are up on time. We're going to take a quick, Chris, thank you very much. I'm sure I will talk to you soon. Uh, yeah. But thank you for, for sharing your experiences is what I'm trying to get out. The, the flood zone experience alone was worth the price of admission, right? Thank uh, which you, it was incredible. So thank you for that. Uh, I'll, I'll circle up with you soon, but guys, we're going to take a 15 minute break. We'll be back at 11 o'clock central with Mr. Jim Ingersoll. I'll if, see you, Chris. Uh, if you want to just, uh, I'm, I'm available on LinkedIn and Facebook. You can see where I am. And we do have a private Facebook group called Multifamily Unveiled, uh, where we get into the granular stuff. But uh, I'm pretty accessible online, Instagram. So if you want to reach out to me, you can, you can get me. Awesome. Thank you, sir. And I'll make sure to post that in the chat here pretty soon.